My message is rooted in one simple question, which is, have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever made a mistake? Who, let's be honest. Let's just raise, if you've ever made your mistake, raise your hand bold, like bold and proud. Raise, who's made one? Who's made one? One person over there hasn't. Everyone else, uh, you have made a mistake before. And so I think uh, I have made mistakes. And a lot of times when I make a mistake, I'm just like, oh, I wish I could go back and I wish I could fix it. Have you ever had that sort of feeling of like, I wish I could just fix and undo that mistake that I did? Um, I have a lot of mistakes involving water slides. For whatever reason, I have a really complicated history with water slides and it's summertime. So I thought I'd tell you the genesis of where it all started. I was eight years old and um, we went to, it was my eight-year-old birthday and I got some friends. We went to this park in Denver called Waterworld. And as we're there in this park, I, there's two types of people in this world. One, a lazy river type of people who wants it easy, and one, thrill ride people who just want, who's my lazy river people? Lazy river, okay, that's me. I'm just like, hey, I want, I want the gentle, happy, that sort of stuff. But all my friends were the thrill ride people. And there's one water slide Waterworld is famous for in the center of the park, and two of them go down their tubes and they go down. And one of them, it's like 500 feet in the air, and it just drops straight down, and then it spits you out. And I went near that water slide and everyone would count, someone would jump in and everyone would count one, two, three, and then boom, that person would just be spit out of the water slide. And I was like, no way we're going on that. And my friends are like, let's go, let's do this. And I was like, oh man. And so I had to be like brave and strong in that moment. So me and all my friends, I'm eight years old and we're there and we're climbing up this, this stairs back and forth, huge line. And everyone's going one, two, three, splash. And it was like, these stairs, it just felt like it went on forever. I was like, oh, this is what people in the Tower of Babylon must have felt like. It was just like up and up and up, like all the way up into the heavens. And it's getting closer and closer and closer. My dad was there in the 80s. He was kind of like, you know, bigger boned. And so he was there and he, he was just the party guy, that sort of stuff. So he would jump in and everyone would go, he'd jump in the water slide, one, and then splash. He'd come out the other side of the water slide. And so he's there so much fun and giving high fives. And I was the like nervous, scared one. And so all of a sudden, all this lead up and I was next. Have you ever been next on like a water slide or a ride that you really didn't want to go on? <laughs> You're like, oh, this is happening. And so I was so freaked out. I stepped up. I'm looking at this like black pit tube that I was going in. The lifeguard is right there. And they're saying like, what you do is you cross your arms and you cross your legs and you'll glide down like a little petunia all the way to the bottom. <laughs> you'll be totally safe. And so the lifeguards tell me that, but I was so freaked out about the water slide. All I heard was like, wah, 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 wah. And then the lifeguards are like, are you ready? And it was like my William Wallace Braveheart moment. And I was like, freedom! And I just flung myself on the water slide. And everyone was like, yeah! And then ran to the edge like, one, two, three, four, five, Six, <laughs> like, did that kid vanish? Did he get raptured? What happened? <laughs> and so uh, this is a true story. This really happened. I was going down that water slide and it was so fast. I was like, this has to stop. I cannot do this. So I came up with a plan and I decided to uh, take my little eight-year-old back, take my little eight-year-old feet and I wedged myself down the water slide like to where I stopped. And if they had not been screaming one, two, three so loud, they would have heard a sound. And what that sound was, was not brakes. 
It was the skin on my little eight-year-old feet on that plastic water slide just being ripped off like all the way. <laughs> I know, this is a horrible story. And then I go and like, and then I stop in the middle of the water slide. Lifeguard like shines a light down. They're like, some kid is stuck in the water slide. <laughs> it's like, like, kid, there's a whole line. Like, you got to let yourself out. And I was like, no, I can't do it. And they're like, kid, you got to go. And so finally, after, I mean, it's probably two minutes, but it felt like 20. My legs and my back gave out and I went the rest of the way down. And I could not walk for a week. I, and the rest of the day, all my friends are having fun, but I couldn't even stand on my feet. They were so ripped up. And I was like, what a stupid mistake. If only I could go back and fix it. If only I could change it. I would have just gone down. It would have been fine. Do you ever have, I didn't listen to the advice of the lifeguard. I just did my own thing and I paid for it. Do you ever have one of those mistakes that you say, what if you could travel back in time and stop yourself from making mistakes? Has anyone ever felt one of those? Like, oh, I really wish I could have a do-over. Some of them are simple mistakes, some of them are bigger mistakes. A relationship, leaving that career, staying too long at the job. But the bad news is, time travel is not possible. But here's what I believe this morning. Many of you have significant decisions that you're facing right now, or you will face, that you need real, real wisdom on. You need real coaching on. And so today, we are, we've been in a series on 1 John, John the Beloved, all about that. Today, we are turning the page, and we are going to 1 Peter, and we're, this series is called Devoted. And I'm excited to talk 1 Peter. Peter's the type of person who, if you could get one of those life coaches who would tell you everything and tell you what to do, Peter is one of those type of people. He's like the Enneagram 8 who will just tell you, like, this is how it is, this is what to do. He, like, kills you with truth. So I love this about Peter. And this series is called Devoted. And I think we have, Peter is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he has more experience recorded with Jesus than any other human that ever lived. Let me say that one more time. There are more stories about Peter and Jesus than any other human that ever lived. That includes his mom, that includes his brother, that includes all the other disciples. Peter gets the most ink. So we have something that we can learn from him. Peter offers us, and what's so great about Peter is there are so many good, amazing decisions he made and so many bad, difficult decisions he made. Let's, let's review a couple of them. One, Peter first meets Jesus. He casts down his nets and decides to follow Jesus. That's good. Then when the priests come to take Jesus away, Peter goes, cuts off the servant of the person and Jesus scolds him and says, live by the sword, die by the sword. That was bad. Peter is the one disciple who had the courage to step out of the boat and walk on water. Jesus walked on water. Peter walked on water. That's all we've ever seen. That was good. But then Peter also took his eyes off of Jesus. Waves came and he nearly drowned. That was bad. Peter was named the rock that Jesus would build his church on and the gates of hell would not overtake it. That is good. That is powerful. Peter was also called Satan by Jesus. That's bad. <laughs> Peter said he would never deny Jesus. I will never deny you. I will stand up for you no matter what. That is good. Peter also later that night denied Jesus three times when Jesus needed him the most. That is bad. Peter went and ultimately his story was redeemed when Jesus left. Peter was the one who preached that message at Pentecost. And 3,000 came to faith in the, in the foundations of the beginning of the church. That is amazing. 
So what I love about Peter is it's not like, oh, he's perfect. He does it right every time. Peter's saying, listen, I've made all the bad mistakes and I've made all the good mistakes and I can tell you the difference if you'll just listen to me. And so if you're facing things in your life right now, if you're deciding what to do, if you're deciding who you wanna be, there's a lot that we can learn from Peter. So with that said, let's open up the scripture. First Peter chapter one says this, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This passage right away gets really complicated. People have debated the idea of what it means to be elect. People have debated the idea of chosen according to foreknowledge. We actually meet with the different campus pastors. I met with uh, Pastor Ken Parsley. Don't you appreciate Pastor Ken, by the way? Uh, If you don't know him, before you leave, meet Pastor Ken. He is is a gift. And we really wrestled through this uh, passage and what it means. And so what is this idea of being elect? What is this idea of chosen according to foreknowledge? Well, I think it's important as we read this passage to understand Peter's perspective, the person who we've been talking about. In Greek, electos means elect or chosen. And to Peter, that idea meant a lot. Because I think for us, we are Americans, we're celebrating 4th of July, you know, next weekend it's coming up. And so for us as Americans, it's like, hey, you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you can make something of yourself. And the time that Peter was alive, it was sort of like, hey, Whoever your parents were, that's your destiny. You're going to live in the same town. You're going to do the same job. You're going to die, and no one's going to remember you. There's not going to be anything special about your life. But Peter found something different. He found that he was chosen to be the rock that Jesus would build his church on. And he was chosen for that, and he thought that was so powerful. So the fact that God chose him meant a lot. But what Peter also saw was God chose him, but he saw the rich young ruler. He saw so many different people who Jesus said, come, follow me, and they turned and walked the other way. So what Peter recognizes about choice is that God chose him. God had foreknowledge of who he would be, but Peter also had to make the decision to choose God. It was a two-way street. Do you understand that? That's a really important theological idea here. And so Peter, it was a two-way street. Jesus said, cast down your net, follow me, and I'll make you fishermen. But Peter had the choice. It was like, okay, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to keep doing my thing? And Peter took the brave step. He was not perfect by any means, but you don't have to be perfect, one chapel. That's what Peter taught us. Don't have to be perfect. Just cast down your nets and follow Jesus, and amazing things will happen in your life and in your story. That's what Peter has for us. And so this this whole... uh, passage, this whole book is really complex. And so I thought it might be fun to do like a two minute seminary to really go and learn about the depth and the roots of what First Peter is. One thing we do with uh, one chapel is we have a Bible reading plan. Uh, it's with the Bible project. And so we read chapter by chapter. It's on you version. You can find it on the website. And then as you're reading it, we have different videos that explain what each uh, book of the Bible means. And so I thought the one for First Peter is really interesting to give you a little bit of context context of what this book is. So let's uh, put on your smart person cap, put on your, you know, uh, glasses, your thinking glasses. I don't think those are a thing, but get really smart with me for two minutes and watch this video about First Peter. The first letter of Peter. 
His name was Shimon, or Simon, when he first became a follower of Jesus, and he was part of the inner circle of the twelve disciples. When he made his confession that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus changed his name to Kephas, which is Aramaic for rock, which was later translated into Greek as Petros or Peter. Jesus promised that he would become a leader among the apostles to guide the Messianic community in Jerusalem through its earliest years. And that's what happened. Remember the early chapters of the book of Acts. Eventually, Peter was called to carry the good news of Jesus beyond the borders of Israel, however, and this letter was written decades into that mission in the wider Roman world. We discover at the conclusion of this letter that Peter is is in Rome, which he calls Babylon, and we learned that while Peter commissioned the letter, it was actually composed by a man named Silvanus, who was a co-worker of Peter. This was a circular letter sent to multiple church communities in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And Peter learned that these mostly non-Jewish Christians were persecuted. They were facing hostility and harassment from their Greek and Roman neighbors. And so Peter wrote to encourage them in the midst of their suffering. And this helps explain the letter's design and its main themes. It opens with a greeting, and then it moves into a poetic song of praise to God, which introduces the key themes that are explored in the main body of the letter, where he first affirms the new family identity of these persecuted Christians, which will help them see their suffering as a way to bear witness to Jesus. And this has a way of focusing their future hopes on the return of Jesus. Let's dive in. You'll just see how all the pieces work together. So Peter opens by greeting these churches as the chosen people of God who are exiled around the world. Now, Peter makes clear throughout the letter that these Christians he's writing to are Gentiles. But here he describes them with phrases from the Old Testament that describe how God chose the people of Israel, the family of Abraham, who was himself an exile and wanderer. This is a key strategy that Peter repeats through the whole letter. He wants these suffering non-Jewish Christians to see that through Jesus, they now belong to the family of Abraham. And so they're wandering exiles just like him, misunderstood, they're mistreated, and they're looking for their true home in the promised land. Peter continues this idea in the opening song. He praises God for causing people to be born again into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection and the power of the Spirit. God's inviting all people into a new family centered around Jesus, a family that has a new identity as God's beloved children and who have a new hope of a world reborn by God's love when Jesus returns as King. And for people who have this hope, suffering and persecution is actually a strange gift because it burns away false hopes and distractions like a purifying fire. And it reminds us of our true home and hope. And so paradoxically, life's hardships actually deepen our faith. They make it more genuine. Okay, so that's a little bit of background about 1 Peter. It kind of gives you a bit, a few big ideas. One, it was written to Christians who were in exile throughout Asia Minor. And so these ideas. And two, he really talks about the heritage of what the faith is. And, and one thing that I love that this video highlights is it talks about that this were people who felt like strangers in a strange land. Have you ever felt like that in your faith where you're like, oh, am I the only one here who really believes this way or thinks this way? Maybe at school, maybe at work, maybe within your family, what it feels like to really be exiled. Peter's saying you are in good company. And he's giving a whole history of actually like God's people who were exiled and what God did in those stories. And so he, he gives at the beginning and then uh, the video kind of shows what it, the first part is, is highlight about like what being chosen means and the heritage that you're walking into. And so let's keep reading. First Peter chapter one, starting at verse three says this. 
Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you who are shielded through God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in this last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have heard and suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come since the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even, and Peter, for that, it's a big deal. He's like, I got to see Jesus. I know many of you haven't been able to see him. But though you have not seen him, you still love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, here's the idea of this section. We talked about what it means to be chosen, but then he's going to actually unveil the benefits of being chosen. Have you ever been chosen for something that really meant a lot to you? Uh, we, with one chapel, we do something called the Turkey Bowl. And so we were there, uh, did it right after Thanksgiving. And it's like all these young strapping dudes are there. And I'm the older strapping dude that's there. And you're all standing on a field. And there's two captains. And you're there. And they start picking one by one. And I swear, this just happened to me. It was over Thanksgiving. We're there. And I'm in that field. And all of a sudden, I'm a successful man. I'm an award-winning author. I've done all these incredible things. None of that mattered. I was in third grade again. Like, oh, please pick me. (laughs) Please. Please don't make me the last one picked (laughs) to do that walk of shame where no one else is there. Like, well, you can come and join us. Like that. (laughs) That is the saddest thing in the world. And so I'm standing out on that field. And they're picking guy after picking guy. And then someone looked at me and said, Rob, we want Rob on our team. And that meant so much to me. It was like, they see something in me that I can contribute. They see something in me that I can help, that I can make some plays. By the way, I caught a touchdown and made the game-winning tackle in one of the games. And so I brought my A game. But I felt like I had to raise my level up because one of the captains picked me and I thought, I want to bring that level because I was chosen and now I'm choosing this team to be a part of it. It meant so much to me. If you've ever applied to a job where there's like lots and lots of applicants, and they're like, you know what? We looked at different applicants, but we picked you. We saw something about you. Maybe you've applied to a college that was hard to get into or something you really wanted, and there was all sorts of applicants, and they're like, nope, we're choosing you. We're picking you. There's something powerful that happens with that that makes you want to raise up and be a part of that sort of thing. I think... One of the most significant choices on the other end is the choice to get married. I, uh, you know, I led our Monday night group, our young adult group for years and years and years. I talked to guys about like what it meant to get married. And I was like, listen, you may like the girl, but you're also going to inherit the family. And so like that's part of it as well. So you need to think about that. You're choosing to be part of this whole family. But I remember when I was a young man, like really deciding to get married, I told uh, one of my pastors, I said, you know, I don't really want to get married. I was being really honest. I was like, because so many married people I know, they seem miserable. And I was like, I don't really want to get married because I don't want to, like, I was like, how do you know who the right person is? How do you actually know who you're supposed to be married? And I said, you know, so many different people that I see that are married actually seem miserable. And I bet they thought they were the right person. And so how, how do you know? And it just, the whole thing intimidated me. And I remember this pastor, his name was Lance Coles. And he sat me down and he asked me a bunch of questions about Sarah. And he said, do you love her? 
Do you have a friendship with her? Are you willing to serve her? Is the, how is her faith in God? Ask me all these different questions. And then I said, yes, yes, yes. And then he finally said this. He's like, listen, Rob, you need to make your choice based on the conviction that God has put in you. You need to stop looking around, what's this person doing? What's going on over there? And you need to decide, who am I? Who am I going to be? What am I called for my family to be? What sort of legacy am I gonna leave? It is time to stop looking at what other people are doing and stop t- start taking responsibility for who you are and what you were called to be. That's the type of choice that you're called to make. And that did something in me. It was like, okay, I'm gonna stop making choices based on what everyone else is doing and make choices based on my own conviction, what I am called to. That's what Peter's calling us to. He's saying, you are exiles. You are strangers in a strange land, but you were called to something greater. God has chosen you. God sees who you are. God had foreknowledge of who you were called to be. And you said yes. And something powerful can happen when we say yes. So let's look at, let's really break this passage down. Verse three says this, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. This is the foundation of what it means to be chosen by God. You get new hope through the resurrection. And the resurrection wasn't like a random, distant idea to Peter. Peter was like, I know what it felt like to think that we lost Jesus forever and then think it went from death to life. And sometimes I think we lose the power of what the resurrection means. If Peter were alive in Austin today, he may be like, listen, I know what you're feeling like when you were down 3826 to the monster called USC. There was only six minutes left in the game. It was the fourth quarter and everyone said it was over. But this young man named Vince Young had something to say about it. And he came back and won that game, scored a touchdown, and then with 19 seconds left, on fourth down, he ran into the end zone to win the ball game. I know, a few of you are waking up like, ooh. (laughs) And so the idea is, even with sports, of this idea of like death to life, all the more so. All the more so when we follow Jesus and it's like, hey, what it means to feel like everything's hopeless, everything's gone, everything's lost, and then wait. There is resurrection. There is salvation. And so I, th- I think we should, not take advan- we should not take for granted what the resurrection means. We should remember that in our story because that's what Peter was doing as he's writing this. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 4 says this, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. I was, uh, if you follow me on social media, you know the Denver Nuggets are a big deal to me. I just, uh, they won the championship. It was a big deal. And so I was really excited about it. But what really stood out to me was I watched all these interviews with these players. And the thing that came over and over again was they said, they can never take this away from us. We did something they can never take it away. And I think what happens to us as people is thing after thing after thing get taken away from us. And life things do perish. In life, there is loss. Things spoil, things fade away. And what Peter's saying is there's nothing more powerful when you find a truth and a hope that will never go, that will never fade. And I love that idea of like, hey, the salvation that you just found, and it may have been six months ago, one year ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, but that salvation, that hope that you found, it will not fade away. It needs to stay alive and fresh in you. That's what Peter is calling us to. The inheritance that we've been given lasts forever. Verse eight says this, a genuineness of faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor. 
I think when you really get tested in life, there are moments where you decide who you really are and what you really believe. And I'm sure many of you in here have faced those sort of tests that it's like, okay, and those tests, when you're in the middle of it, they feel so hard, they feel so difficult. Some of you may be walking through those tests right now that it's like, why? I, I was talking with someone yesterday and they're like, this season right now is so hard. I don't know what it is, just so many things are coming at us. But what I found is like, when we make it to the other side of those seasons, we find who we really are and what God has called us to. And so Peter says, a genuineness of faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor. So the idea is, when we get on the other side of these tests, what we bring is praise, glory, and honor to God. There's something that happens in our stories when we come on the other side of these trials. And it's not just Peter who talks about this. Paul talks about this a bunch. Romans 8 says this, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. These sort of things that like, hey, Jesus suffered and we're going to suffer too, but suffering is not, suffering is temporary. Glory that God is gonna do in our life is forever. And so that suffering is temporary, but it's going to fade away and it's gonna produce in us something that is internal, something that lasts forever. And the final benefit is this, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so the ultimate thing of all this is like, hey, you are going from death to life. Your soul will be saved. There is hope. And it stretches beyond just one moment. It stretches forever. But I think the big idea that Peter lays out to us that's important with theology is like, we don't just say a prayer to Jesus and then we walk on with our lives. We don't just say a prayer like, okay, we're saved and we're good. That's it. I'm going to go do my own thing. No, Peter says, once you follow Jesus, you're called to a higher standard. Once you follow Jesus, you're actually called to something called holiness. Verse 13 says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. I want to stop right there. Once you follow Jesus, you're actually held to a higher standard of like, listen, you used, like, have you ever made a mistake at your job, made a mistake, and it was like, okay, we're going to tell you how to do this, but you cannot make this mistake again. You can't keep making the mistake. You're responsible now for your information. My kids (laughs) yesterday, they were there, and I told them this thing about their dishes, and I was like, they're like, well, we didn't know. I was like, okay, well, now you know, and you're held responsible for this information to steward it well. You can't just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again, and if you are in a trapped in your life where you're like, oh, I keep making these mistakes over and over again. Peter says, honestly, that's not good enough. Honestly, you cannot keep making the same mistakes over and over. He says, do not conform to the evil desires you used to have when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, Jesus is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We talk about being a disciple all the time here. We talk about what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean? It means to be holy because he is holy. Does that mean we're perfect? No. Does that mean we make mistakes? No. Don't make mistakes? No. This is Peter, remember? Remember Peter, all the mistakes. He was the one called Satan. He was the one who sank in the water. He was the one who denied Jesus. He knows what it means to make a mistake, but he also knows the power of putting those mistakes behind you and giving your full life and energy and devotion to chasing Jesus and inviting holiness into your life.
That is who is writing this message. God has chosen you, and you chose him as a two-way street. And, and when we take this on, it's kind of like when you, when you join a college, when you're going to this college, it's like there's all these rituals and all these things, and like this is what it means to be a part of this college. When you marry into a family, like in my family, my father-in-law, uh, Pat McGuire, he's an amazing man, and he has this thing where they do this Easter tradition, where they do a uh, uh, scavenger hunt. And so we do that for our family. We carry that on for grandkids. Like, I've learned so much from him and Cindy of things they did in their family, and I'm like, okay, I'm stepping into that tradition of what their family is, and they're stepping into my tradition with my kids. And so that's what it means you take the, on these traditions. That's why Peter, in that video that we saw, you're saying, okay, you're not, this is not just Jesus. You're Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're going into God's big, big story, and those traditions are becoming part of your life. That's what you're invited into. God chose you, and you chose him. That's what it means to be elect. That's what it means to be chosen. And I think sometimes we feel like our faith, my youth pastor used to ask me like, okay, I want you to think about your whole walk with your life, almost like it's a stock. Has anyone ever looked at a stock before? It kind of goes up and then goes down and goes up again. He's like, I want you to think about your walk with God. And he's like, is it as high as it's ever been? Or was there used to be a time where it was like so much higher and now it's kind of dipping down? Now it's kind of there. And I remember him asking me this one time. His name is Chris Hodges. He's actually one of our overseers. And I was at summer camp and he asked me, he's like, Rob, are you following God as hard and as much as you ever have right now? And I said, no, not really. It used to be so much more on fire. And now, I don't know. It's just kind of become old hat. And he's like, I know. And he found out about some stuff I was doing in my life, some mistakes I was making, some sins I was making. I was like, I just don't feel it. I don't feel the passion, that sort of thing as much as I used to. And he's like, listen, you're selling yourself short. God has called you to more. And I was, like, I was like, I don't know if I believe it. And he's like, what if you could just pursue God with everything you've had for six months? Do it for six months and see what God does. And I was like, six months, that feels like a long time. He's like, okay, Rob, what about three months? Can you follow God? Give him all you have for three months. I was like, ah, oh, that feels like a long time. Okay, Rob, what about one month? Yeah, maybe one month. Okay, Rob, what about one day? Give God, all, yeah, probably one day. Rob, what about one hour? Yeah, I probably, okay, Rob, what about one minute? Can you give God all you have for one minute? I think I can, Rob. What about one second? Can you give me a strong, yes, absolutely, I give him all I have for one second? Yes, I can do that for one second, Pastor Chris. I can do that for one second of my life. Okay, Rob, live life by the second. He told me that when I was in high school and it really stuck with me. About so many times, we take on all of our past sins. We take it on, okay, this is what I used to do. This is what I fell into. I'm going to fall back into it. Or as we get older, we fear the future. What's going on? What's happening? We start to fear all these different things. What if I get sick? What if, what if I lose my job? What if, what if, what if? Stop. That's not where God lives. Live in the second. Pursue him each second, and God will do something powerful in your story. I believe it's actually exponential what God has for us. And I believe what happens is so many of you and so many of us, and it's happened to me too, we follow God for a while and then we get discouraged. We're like, it's not really happening the way that I want it to. And the truth is with following God is it's a long line of obedience that grows us closer to closer to him, that when we pursue holiness in our life, the longer we pursue it, the more it impacts our life, it impacts our family, it impacts our friends, it impacts our work. And sometimes it's not instantaneous. In fact, often what we choose to chase is like, I want the instantaneous thing. Like for instance, 
many of you know the answer to this, but if I gave you an offer right now and I said, hey, you can have one of two things. You can have one penny or $1 million. The trick with the penny is, I'll do you a favor and I will double that penny every day for 30 days, just 30 days, or you can have $1 million. What would you pick? What would you pick? One penny or one million? Well, many people would pick the million dollars because it's like, huh, penny doesn't seem much. If you pick the penny, what you would see is this. On day one, you would have one penny. On day two, you would have two pennies. All right, this is getting old. Let, let's go faster. By day 15, you would have $163. Let's go a little bit more. On day 20, you would have $5,242. And I think by day 20, you'd be like, I made the wrong choice. That person over there made the choice for the million dollars, and I'm here with $5,000 in my account. What did I do? What did I do with that choice? And I think a lot of us as Christians, we give up about day 20. We're like, okay, I've been doing this for a while. It's not really happened to me. I, found, I see this person over there who's having so much more fun or seeing so much more. I'm going to walk away from this. And we walk away just when God wants to break through. Just to keep using this example, by day 24, if you kept doubling that penny, you would have $83,886. Pretty good. By day 26, you would have $335,544. Day 28, $1.3 million. And by day 30, $5.3 million you would have if you took one penny every single day and you doubled it. I give this math thing, I'm like, <laughs> maybe you're like, oh, do I get the $5 million? No, you do not get the $5 million. But what happens is following God, I believe, is this exponential return, but it's not fast often. It's not like Peter is writing this from a person who, like you saw in that video, this was an old man saying, listen, I have seen it all. I've walked through it all. And what I have seen is God working in my story after a long time. And when you chase holiness, when you pursue holiness, God will do something in your heart and in your story. So we're going to, Pastor Brent talked about it. We began with worship and we love to end with worship. So what I want to do this morning is just invite everyone to stand up. And as we sing this song, I don't want the prayer team to come up or anything else like that. I just want during this one song to ask this question. Is there a decision or is there something in your life that you're facing where you're like, you know what? I could use God's wisdom on that. I could really use the wisdom for God to speak in my life and in my story. Or maybe it's like, I really want that holiness to return. I'm tired of feeling like I'm just not living the way that I wanna live. I want God's holiness to come back into my life. Or maybe enter your life for the first time ever. I just want you to pray about that and think about that. Those two ideas of like a decision you have to make or holiness that you're pursuing. And let's just take some time and let's worship together as we do this. The end of First Peter says this, starting in verse 24. All people are like grass and all their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word of the Lord that was preached to you. A lot of things in your life are gonna fade away, are gonna go, but God's word lives in us. And so if you're seeking something and just need wisdom from God, if you're seeking something and are just looking for a breakthrough, I want you to just think about that as we're praying this or as we're singing this song. So I'm gonna pray for you and then we'll sing together. Actually, if you would open up your hands like this, just a simple act of surrender. Lord, I see so many friends 
So many people who I've known for so long and people who have just gotten to know, Lord, and I see you working in so many stories in here. And so I pray as we come here this morning that we would not try to live all this on our own. We'd not try to carry this on our own, Lord, but we'd turn our hearts and our lives and our minds toward you, Lord. That you would teach us to be holy as you were holy. That we would not try to carry this on our own strength, that we try to do this on our own, Lord, but that we would seek you first. We pray these things in your name. Amen.